Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning in to the show. Today, uh, and days like today, are really special because I get to share our time with a former player of mine who has taken the world by storm. As I told him and, and guys like him, it's the greatest uh, reward and feeling to see how guys move on in life and make a name for themselves and serve their communities by being great leaders. Uh, in truth, nothing better than seeing the student go on into greater things than the teacher. So that's pretty cool. Today I'm uh, talking with Neil Grover um, and a scad of issues ranging from leadership, uh, tennis, uh, his lessons from engagement with multi-million, even billion dollar companies um, and more. And I'm sure we'll bring up a bunch of anecdotes from over the years. Um, but Neil, uh, just want to get started here and I want to say, hey, thanks for taking the time and your world travels to come on and share. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. It's great to, uh, great to reconnect. Well, I often begin that with the tennis background, but today I'm going to start with more of the present and uh, dip in and out of tennis with Neil. Um, just, uh, you know, I, I won't reveal ages or anything, but uh, Neil's a young <laughs> man. He's relatively young. <laughs> and um, folks, if I had to read all the stuff that he's done business-wise, uh, you would think he's, you know, 80 years old. But uh um, you know, I'm going to start and kind of let him explain a little bit where he's at. Um, he's the founder and CEO of uh, Indy.com, and he also serves on the board of the ITA, the uh, Intercollegiate Tennis Coaches Association. But um, I want to kind of give him a background. When he was at uh, UC Irvine, he was a team captain for a couple years out of his tenure there, and then he went to law school at uh, San Diego. Uh, you know, basically, he was on scholarship and one of the top uh, – uh, I think cum laude, weren't you there? Um, I was. I was cum laude, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, did quite well there. But I couldn't possibly get everything straight after what he did between then and and uh, and his uh, new venture with Indy.com. And, Neil, you sent me something, and it, it, I think the way you, you worded it or kind of uh, put it out there was um, it kind of showed the transition and, and why the transition from what you did and, you know, as a, you know, I mean, you uh you know, the different uh, positions you held at these other companies and why you're doing what you're doing now. So if maybe you could kind of share in a nutshell um, uh, that transition. Sure. Well, I I'm assuming you're not starting with my tennis because it's not that strong, but uh, I appreciate <laughs> we'll, it. We'll get into that. We'll get into that later. Um, so for, I'm just kidding, yeah, yeah. yeah, so when I left, uh, when I left UCI, <clears throat> you know, everyone on our team at the time was, uh, was going to play for professional tennis. Um, I, that was not my desire nor my skills probably didn't really warrant me doing that. Um, uh, but I had a great college experience playing tennis and, um, you know, everyone in my family was a physician and, and, uh, so I felt I had to go to graduate school in some sort. Um, I wanted to really get into business. Uh, so I decided to go, it was either go to law school or get my MBA. Um, I decided to go to law school just thinking that that background would be different, but still be very helpful to get into business. Um, plus, I could go direct from undergrad without having to work first. And a lot of uh, business schools want you to go get some work experience first. Um, so I went. Um, I went to University of San Diego, as I mentioned, um, uh, on a scholarship. Uh, you know, really applied myself there. Thankfully, did well. Um, ended up getting a job that at the time was the largest law firm in the world. But I think it still may be um, Jones Day. I worked there for a year. Uh, it was it was a real wake up call for me. I mean, law school itself was very difficult, but then after that, um, I think the first eleven Fridays uh, in the afternoon, I was told I was working on the weekend. So I, I worked seventy seven straight days, and these were till you know twelve one two a.m. whatever it may be. Well, I don't want but, to interrupt uh, you, but but I remember one time you called me. It was like I mean, I don't think you slept that night, and it was like no, you know you'd yeah. gone from one to the next. That's amazing. Yeah, I had a couple of those. I think the longest was two and a half straight days. Uh, uh, but but all that's really helped me to do what I've, what I've been able to do now. I mean, it's a great training to do that. But I'd all all the while, my my goal was to get into business and hopefully run my own company. Um, 
And, and so when I was at the law firms, again, just learning as much as I possibly could, I worked for some amazing people, um, learned some great things from them. And I went from the one law firm, Jones Day, which was, you know, the reason I went there was the biggest opportunity I really could get. And then I went to a more of a specific corporate securities uh, firm that represented a lot of high technology um, companies like Broadcom and Cisco and E-Trade and, and Yahoo. And um, at the time, one of the companies was, that they were taking public was a company called Buy.com. And was a kind of high flying internet startup um, or internet company at the time. I was uh, a corporate securities lawyer at the firm. Eventually, I left the firm and got the opportunity to go work for the founder of Buy.com in his private equity incubator. And so he had left Buy as it went public. Buy had a six billion dollar market cap the first day it went public. It, it was a at the time it was kind of like the second or third largest internet retailer behind Amazon in the U.S. And um, I went. Uh, you know, I went to go help him run his private equity company, did that for a couple of years. And then, and then the, the dot-com bubble burst and all these companies were crashing. And, uh, and so by, we were able to take buy.com private, uh, meaning we took it off the public stock markets and uh, it was losing a hundred million dollars a year. Uh, we bought it for $23 million. It was the founder's money. I was, I was in there helping him run it. And, um, I went in as the president and COO and, and, uh, about a year and some later took over as CEO, um, or maybe two years later took over as CEO. And I ran the company for a good seven and a half years or so. And um and again, that was kind of my goal was to go from, you know, leaving college to wanting to get in the business. And I didn't take the most direct route of going straight into a company, but I went to law school, got my law degree, worked at a couple law firms, um, and just got around I was around um a lot of entrepreneurs and, and companies, and I was able to get some exposure there and then got introduced to folks that got me into the business path. And then when I had my opportunity to go in and, and run the company or go help run the company and then eventually run the company, um, you know, I was fortunate to be in that position and, and then, uh, you know, take advantage of it. And, and with some great teams, we did some great things and, and, and helped. So I, I, there's already a lesson here for, you know, I don't care if you're a young high school uh, player or college, or even if you're out in the workforce now. Um, one of the lessons there was it was interesting that you went to law school, you know, to kind of circumvent having to sit out some time, and but you also saw the value of you know being a you know corporate lawyer because then it gets you into some other areas. So in other words, you don't always have to do the typical route, and you and but you knew all along kind of how you wanted to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the end goal in mind all the way through. And, and again, the most direct path would have been probably go work and intern at a company and then work your way up at a company. But I also wanted to get a higher degree. I thought having mm-hmm. that degree would be helpful in anything I did. Um, you know, you can always fall back on your degree, no matter what you're doing, no matter how bad the economy gets. And um, and I was fortunate because the law firms that I worked at <clears throat> represented and worked with a lot of these high-tech companies, which is the type of company I wanted to go to. Mm-hmm. And so when I got around them, you know, those, thankfully those folks are always looking to hire um, smart young kids. And, um, you know, if you come out of a good school, if you're doing well in whatever school you go to and or you're a student athlete, it makes a big difference. Um, I mean, I love to hire student athletes. And so knowing that, you know, someone participated at a high level while um, competing in school, um, you know, should set them up well to be able to be a great uh, employee and, and, you know, part of a team. And, and that's something I really look for. And so thankfully I got that opportunity and, um, you know, and had a lot of good things go the right way. We had a lot of tough times, you know, competing with Amazon every single day. It was an internet e-tailer. Um, you know, that when I first went in there, like I said, we were losing a hundred million dollars a year and with a great team, we changed the model. Um, we forged some great partnerships, which is another big thing, you know, that we had to do and went to my biggest competitors that were also competing with Amazon, like Meg Whitman at eBay, like uh, eventually the CEO of Walmart, the CEO of Best Buy, and and eventually struck some deals and and partnerships, and uh, and we you know we worked together to really build our business, and and we went from losing 100 million dollars a year to 13 consecutive profitable quarters, um, competing with Amazon every single way, so hmm. every single product. So it was uh, again good time, good people, a lot of hard work, a lot of, a lot of hard work. Yeah. 
Well, you've already mentioned something I want to get into right away, um, and that's, you know, with your background, um, we've not gotten into the tennis portion yet, but I would like to discuss leadership and team issues related to business fully intending uh, to show that uh, there's a crossover with respect to college athletics or just being an athlete, you know, uh, your growth, you know, from the college tennis world and beyond, because, you know, you know, the the point of this, uh, you know, the podcast, the show is equipping, encouraging and educating players, parents and coaches. And, you know, so, I, you know, there's something here for everybody where you just mentioned it, these skill sets learned, um, not just um, playing tennis, but just, uh, you know, being part of a team and the time management and the discipline. And then, you know, just it's not things don't always go your way, but you got to you got to get right back up and keep on going. And, and uh, there's something to be said about athletics for that. So um, here are several areas I, I'd like to touch on. I'm just going to list them and then we'll kind of go through them. It's kind of like an outline when you write an essay, you want to have your outline and then get into it. So uh, top characteristics of leadership. Uh, why you do what you do and defining success, uh, creating team cohesion um, and transformation versus transactional business. And I'm just taking that. There's a there's a an author, a former football player, um, Joe Ehrman, who, who writes about that. And um, so uh, we're going to get into those a little bit. But first question I have is I just want to get have people get an idea. What is Indie.com? Explain to me, uh, or you know, to the listeners, what it is that you do. Sure. Um, well, it's it's my video engagement commerce startup, and um, uh, we really have two different groups we go after. Um, you know, at a high level, think of us kind of like the next version of YouTube. It's YouTube for brands, is kind of what I consider, it, or YouTube with commerce. Uh, YouTube is a great greatest place to go watch videos all day long. On, on every video that's been created. But for the most part, or, or really, those videos are all videos that somebody put up on their own channel. And if you're a company, you are not able to get other people to put videos up to your channel um, in the sense of engaging with that user or your customer. And if you're an individual, you're not able to really add commerce to your videos easily. Um, so, for example, if you were... Um, you know, as yourself, you're talking about tennis and, and promoting a racket or a product. Um, it's, it's not the easiest to add different products um, associated with that, uh, especially with that video that you might be creating. And so we set out to create a new version of a video platform. And, um, you know, it's kind of a white space between what YouTube allows um, individuals to do and, and companies to do and what, what social media allows companies and individuals to do as well. Um, you know, on the business side, again, as, as I've run retail e-commerce sites for the last 15 plus years, um, I always want to get closer to my customer. I want to know my customer. And then I, if I'm doing a good job, I really want my customer to talk about me to all of their friends. And that's the, that's the best marketing I can have is when my customers tell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, tell their friends about me. But it, there's no real systemized way or, um, to do that today that really encourages that word of mouth advertising. And so what we do for the brand, um, as an example, uh, Tennis Warehouse is, is a company that works with us. Um, and Tennis Warehouse is incentivizing coaches to create content around, um, you know, around uh, advice they're giving. And when they create a video um, around a product or products that they like, there will be links that drive customers um, you know, to to the website, and when somebody checks out and you know buys something, that coach who created that content will receive a commission for it. And and this is something that we're working with a lot of different large and small retailers for. It's you pay to drive um, a referral that is a qualified lead. It's somebody that already likes your your product category. Uh, is associated somehow with somebody that that likes you, and so there's already a confidence with the brand. And um, we believe it's going to be the next big thing in commerce. Um, you know, it's it's a sub part of affiliate marketing. There was fifty plus billion dollars of it that happened last year. Very little of it down to the individual, and we want to bring it down to the individual level. Um, and so, for brands, we really help brands drive direct connection and engagement with their customers with their employees and, and, and even if they are using influencers, but by getting that direct engagement um, 
two quick examples. You know, I, I mentioned the one with Tennis Warehouse. Another one, Starbucks uh, last year gave away close to a million dollars to charities. But they asked their customers, what charity should we donate to? And so their customers created videos around some of the charities they love, close mm-hmm. to a thousand different charities. They uploaded these videos. They shared those videos. We track all the engagement that happens all throughout social media. So it really got Starbucks' brand out there in a very organic way mm-hmm. by having their customers share it. Also creates a deeper connection with their customers. And then right. it got them ten, you know, millions of extra views and, and had their customers feel good about it. Right. Well, knowing you, Neil, and how you always operate, relationships are really important. And um, I mean, that's how it's always been. You know, when people talk about Neil or they meet you, it's like, hey, man, he's such a nice guy and he's easy to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. So I would think whatever you do, relationships are really important. And, you know, so what about Indie.com maximizes that value in your life, you know, such that your business reflects it? I'm just, you know, to me, this is a leadership issue. If, if relationships are important, then obviously what you create is going to have that flavor to it, you know, the, the relationships. And I've met some of your colleagues, and you know, they're just the most pleasant people, and they bend over backwards, they work hard, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, what about Indie.com or, you know, about your, uh, your company that uh, you do to instill that? Well, th- well, thank you, by the way, about the team. I think we, we do have a great team. Uh, we have two other, uh, you know, former ITA college tennis players, one of which was top under WTA player. Um, they're, you know, the whole, every, every member of our team is, you know, makes a huge impact in what we do. Um, everything we do is really built around relationships. And, and in fact, that's what our company is really built around itself is that those relationships, as authentic and organic as they are, are also valuable. Um, I'm going to rely on my friends who have, you know, good advice in various, categories that they're strong in and and that's what really our platform helps people do is create that and so when you've got an opinion on something that if you're considered a thought leader in that space people that are connected to you will also feel confident in in looking at that product or service because of you um, and because of their relationship to you so everything we actually do is really built around relationships Um, and so that's that's at the very core what our platform is, is it drives very authentic relationships and helps um, helps people share products and services that they love with others in their relationships. Yeah, so I think, you know, this is this is a learning point. So, for example, even in business or, you know, like we talk about even in coaching, what kind of culture are you developing? We're going to talk about that in a bit when I talk about transformational as compared to uh, transactional coaching. But the same things apply to leadership. So, you, you know, uh, you've actually created – a business, a corporation that reflects something that's really valuable to you and you enjoy doing it every day because of that. You know, it's not like it's an addendum. You know, it's it's central to the whole thing. That's pretty rare. I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, not to say that the job's without stress um, at all, but it is but it's definitely right. Uh, right. you know, it is I'm following my passion and that's yeah. what I really wanted to do. I yeah. felt very passionate that this needs to happen for both brands and retailers as well as individuals to be able to monetize um, you know, their their passions and mm-hmm. um and, and the relationships and their knowledge. And so that is, you know, that is part of what led me down this path. Um, you know, I didn't want to be a corporate lawyer all my life. I didn't I didn't think I'd actually practice for more than a year when I first set off to do it, but I liked it more than I, than I thought I would. I ended up doing it for about three and a half years. And then I got the opportunity to go into business and I've all the time kept, kept kind of my true north of what my passion was that I wanted to do. I really enjoyed doing what I did when I was at Bot.com. Um, you know, when I, when we sold Bot.com, I ran, I ran the, the company that we sold it to for a few years. Um, spent you know, a lot of their money buying and investing in other companies. And then, and then when I eventually left there, I joined my former private equity investors and we bought some other companies and I, I ran a couple other companies, ran a fashion company in New York called Blue Fly. Um, and I was commuting every week from Southern California to Manhattan, you know, for north of 18 months, but I was very passionate about what I was doing. I really enjoyed running that company. I had a great team. We were making some big changes mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then same thing with what I'm doing now. I'm very fortunate to be in a position to do it, but, uh, you know, have a great team of people and, and we're really focused on, changing the way people do things, um, uh, you know, both in social media and with video and, and driving deep consumer engagement. Um, and, and so it's, it's definitely following along, um, you know, the passions of what, you know, what we believe in. 
Well, along those lines, what would you consider top characteristics of great leadership? You've been around a lot of great leaders in your life. What would be some top characteristics? You know, one of the biggest lessons I learned actually when I was playing, um, you know, I learned a lot from my coaches, of one of which was you, so thank you. Um, but, um, you know, how you treat everybody cannot be the same. So you cannot treat, you know, you don't necessarily treat your number one player the same as you treat your number six player or, or your, your folks that are, are not starting, not because of where they are in the lineup necessarily, but just because of their personalities and what gets them going. And, um, you know, having seen that firsthand because we had so many different personalities on our college teams, whether, you know, they were uh, very highly sought after players, uh, very charismatic folks that thought very highly of themselves to others that just cared so much about being on a team and wanting to, to win. Um, you learn what motivates people. And, and in that same sense, in that same vein, when you're, you know, leading a, a team of folks, whether it's, you know, at a, at a, at a micro level or, or at a macro level in running a company, um, you know, you gotta, you have to treat people in ways that will work for them. The same way one person is going to work across the board for everybody. Right. And I think that's been one of the biggest things is just really trying to understand and get to know the people on your team and what gets them motivated and excited. And then hopefully finding uh, and aligning that properly with their incentives um, to make sure that everyone's goals are aligned. Yeah. I just want to have you chime in on this. Uh, one of the, in, in some uh, research has been done, it's more. Um, uh, it's not uh, quantitative, it's more qualitative research, but they talk about drive to the top characteristics of uh, great corporate leaders or even sports leaders, um, uh, you know, uh, general managers of, of uh, professional teams, etc. It says uh, drive and humility have been two of the top characteristics. And it's interesting because we all understand drive, like you mentioned passion. I mean, you got to have this drive, got to have passion. But I wouldn't think I, I, if I were to ask that, I don't think a lot of people would say humility. And, uh, you know, we see it in athletics. You know, you watch somebody out in the field and like you said, they're not full of themselves. Uh, you know, they're they're just go about their business. They do their thing. They're team players. And, and it's a we, not an I. And they're, you know, they're humble and people are gravitate towards that. So, you know, why wouldn't they be in business? But I got a question. Um uh, you know, in fact, Dan uh, Guerrero, um, you know, he was my boss at Irvine and then now he's at UCLA. But he used to say, you know, substance over image. you got to have substance. You know, image is great, but substance is what matters. And um, and I think you've done a good job at this or a great job at this. And I'm curious, from your perspective, how would you suggest to others, you know, um, how to balance self-promotion, you know, and uh, and humility? Because we're in this age where, you know, uh, you self-promote, you self-brand, you do things to pad your resumes and image, image, image is all over the place. And you're in the thick of it. Um, how do you, how would you suggest somebody, you know, you know, maybe a, a young college athlete wanting to go out in the workforce or even people currently in the workforce, how would, how they balance that? Yeah, that's a great question, actually, because um, it is something that I, I look for definitely in folks. I mean, you don't want somebody who's so so over the top, um, beyond uh, confident that it leads to arrogance because, um, at the end of the day, you know, you're always learning new things and I mean, I'm always learning new things and, and I hope and pray I always have people that are smarter than me on my team. And I thankfully do. Um, and you know, you need that. Um, and there's always new things coming on that you're always going to be learning. And, and, and although you may have done great things in the past, it's really, you know, what are you doing right now? And, um, you know, and you're always in that position because of other people. So you do, it is a fine line because you do want people to stand, you know, notice you. But I think it's a lot of little things that you want to do, you know, as a younger person coming up. Um, you, you know, you obviously want to show results, whatever type of results you can have, whether it's winning um, or, or, but it's not, it goes much beyond winning. Um, and I'll give you an example, um, you know, but your attitude and your character are probably in your passion to me are way more important than if you're winning or losing. Um, I would take, a, you know, I would take a kid coming out of college that wanted to come work for me who had a losing record, but fought hard and had a whole bunch of seven, five, seven, sixes, you know, six fours, whatever it may be, or just got to that third set or tight second sets, whatever it may be. Um, who's passionate, wants to work in this field and expresses that to me, um, much more than somebody who's, you know, even winning very easily, and um, and just thinks they're you know they can do anything and everything. 
Um, and I'll give you a quick example. I was always the kid that had to work really hard, and I think I'm always going to be that that person. Um, and I remember my freshman year, we were our team was three in the country, and, and Coach Patton said to me, goes after he looked at one of the other players, who was our top player, and said, yeah, you know, you're great. So lucky to have you. He looked at me and goes, Neil, you just have to work a lot harder than everybody else. And, and I knew that. <laughs> right. and, uh, and and that's okay. I was, you know, I was captain of the team two of my four years, and it worked out okay. But I did have to work really hard. Um and and I was not nearly as talented, but you know, an example in in the real world after after school, I was uh, a summer associate at Jones Day, and um, you know, so I was in in between my um, my second year and third year of law school, and um, I was working at, at like I said at the firm, and it was a tough firm, worth a lot of hours, and I remember I was walking around one day, and the hiring partner um, called me into his office one day and said. She said, hey, do you know XYZ? And I said, yeah, he's a member of the tennis club I play at. I said, yes, he's one of our clients, and he just saw you walking around the building. And I asked him, well, what do you, you know? He said, oh, I didn't know Neil worked here. And he said, yeah, you know, he's been working here for the last month or so. What do you think of Neil? Now, I had no idea that this person was going to talk to my you know, prospective boss or my current boss at the time. I had no idea that he was a client of the firm's. You know, I've known him for 10-plus years from the tennis club, and he just said the greatest things about me, about my character on court, on how I never threw my racket, how I didn't get mad, how I was very competitive, and how I was a good kid. And all of those things went into you know, the consideration of if I was going to get a job at that law firm or not, which I did. And a, and a hiring partner told me that. And he said, look, those are all characters that we want here at this firm, and we're really glad that you possess those, and we can hear about those independent from what you're doing here. And so obviously I had to prove myself with my work, but, but those are all things that were very, very important. And so, you know, I tell anyone listening that, you know, whatever they're working on, whatever they're doing, however they're training, at all times, your character, your reputation – whether you're driving and, you know, people know that that's your car, you know, cutting people off, whether you're on a tennis court and you're getting mad at a bad call or that you just had a bad day and you hit a ball over the fence. I mean, just think about it twice because all these things matter. What you post on social media, you know, who you hang out with, um, all these things do matter and are a reflection on you. And I think you just want to always put yourself in the best light to give yourself the best opportunity. Yeah, and I, I think uh, those of you listening, particularly if you're in the uh, uh, high school and college ranks, um, to heed that because, you know, I've had players where we've had to, have, you know, have them take down some things on the media and they just weren't thinking. And it's like, you know, you never know what employer's going to do. And, um, yeah, that's that's great advice. Um, what, uh, in terms of leadership, you know, a lot of times we talk about strength-based uh, leadership, you know, you have your strengths, et cetera. I'm curious, um, you know, and, and as coaches and as parents, you know, we're trying to, you know, we have our little niches, um, but even from the business world and having been an athlete, what do you look for in other leaders you surround yourself with? And you mentioned a couple of them, but what are some split when you, when you're looking at somebody, you're going to try and mentor to be a leader or come in and be a leader. What, what kind of things are you looking for? Um, first and foremost, I'd say is passion. Like I want them to really be passionate in what they're doing because it's it's really hard to, you know, push through. I mean, I have a lot of nights that I'm working till twelve yeah. or one or or even later. There's a lot of times I'm on red eyes. I'm flying across the country or the world. I've had you know thirty minute meetings in Japan where I've flown in and out of the country the same day. Um, New York, same day, in and out. I mean, you have to do you make a lot of sacrifices, um, and so you need people that are really passionate and excited about what they're doing. Um, I think, you know, as you mentioned, um, humility is very important. Um, you know, having the ability to get along with a lot of folks, um, is important. You don't have to necessarily be everyone's best friend and that's not necessarily the best thing by any means, but again, um, having people's respect and then, and treating others with respect, all really important. Um, I never ask anyone that works with me or for me or with me to do things that I wouldn't do in the sense that. I feel that I still probably work harder than anybody on our team consistently, but there are definitely times where people are working till three, four, five, and not to say that you need to be working in the middle of the night, but I just, I feel like right. I want them to know that I would do it. And if I'm asking them to do it, or if they think they have to do it, they know that it's part of what I would do. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, I think, uh, you know, treating people with respect and, and being appreciative and, and open to other people's ideas are always important. 
Um, and so, I mean, a lot of the, the different characteristics that we say, you know, are important to, to be a good tennis player, not per se your skills on hitting winners or not, right. but being a good, a good person on the court, having good character, uh, being considerate, you know, being passionate, working hard. There's a lot of things that, that transfer over from practicing and excelling in tennis to doing the same in business. Yeah. Well, that's why we're, that's why you're on this podcast because you're an example of somebody that's done those things and, uh, you know, at a high level. So, um, you know, as people are listening, particularly again, this is for everybody, but, you know, for example, speaking directly to the high school player, the college player, um, to the parent of that player and to the coaches of those players, those things do matter. There have times, there have been times when a guy has come off a court and he's won, and I've had a talk. I've not been happy because of the attitude. I go, I don't care if you won or lost, you know, um, it's, it's, how'd you get there? You know, I've seen guys, you know, after winning a set, get upset. And I'm like, what are you upset for? Well, I wasn't playing that well. Well, yeah, but still, you have to carry yourself well. You know, um, Alan Fox, you know, made a great point in his, uh, in his book, If I'm the Better Player, Why Can't I Win? Or Why Don't I Win? Um, and it's the issue of don't do anything that will prevent you or harm your chances of winning. And low energy, attitude, all that stuff, n- almost never, unless you're John McEnroe, contribute to winning you know, if you're, if you have an attitude issue. So, um, being able to control those things actually gives you the highest probability of success. It doesn't guarantee success, but it's the highest probability and it's just the right thing to do. And like you said, uh, who, who knows who's watching, especially these days, it is so, this world is so small. You never know who's gonna be watching. Could be a future employer of a big time company. And that's, yeah, yeah. I agree with all of those. Absolutely. There's a there's I'm curious what you think on this. There's a study and it's actually mostly for athletics. I've discussed this in a uh, in a blog of sorts, but um, it's called uh, when we talk about team social cohesion. And I'm curious from your perspective, having been an athlete in college and then now, you know, running companies, if you see this parallel, for example, they talk about, you know, for years in the pro level or even high school, college, they'll say, hey, if we have this goal, OK, we're going to win conference. We're focused on this. And that that unites everybody. Well, they found that is not necessarily the greatest uniter to get the results. Um, actually, what it is in a meta in a kind of meta uh, meta uh, meta study is um, is the idea of social team cohesion. In other words, how players get along off the court, how they relate to each other, as opposed to just having the product or the, uh, the team goal. And I think that's really important because it's, it goes along with the whole idea. We're always preaching process over product. It's how you do it. It's getting, it's about getting better. And cause if you do the right things all the time, day in and day out, you'll get the wins, you'll get the product. Don't focus on the product, focus on the process. And part of the process is developing team team cohesion where it's socially oriented. In other words, those players get along and they actually are willing and and enjoying supporting each other. I'm sure you experienced that in college, the goods and the bads. In other words, when it it had high social cohesion and when it didn't, and then also in the business world. Is that the case? Yeah, it's actually that's a, that's a good way to put it. But yes, I, I've had both of those, um, and I think you can be successful even without great cohesion. I just mm-hmm. think you get there faster, and it's more enjoyable if you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've I've had, I mean, I'd, I'd say like Buy.com as an example. We had 135 employees doing north of a half a billion dollars in sales, and every one of those employees cared so much about what they did, and we all collectively overshot what we should be doing. Um, you know, we took, to, you know, we took a fair amount of business, you know, at the time from Amazon, we were one of the only pure plate e-tailers to be profitable against them. And frankly, there was no real reason for us to be around and surviving, but we had a great, great group of people that cared about each other, that worked really, really hard, that got along extremely well with our partners, with our vendors, with everybody. Whereas at the time, especially so people really wanted to work with us, whether they were customers, they were other retailers like Toys R Us and others at the time, um, um, or, or, or manufacturers who didn't really want to 
work with with bigger guys. And um, and I'd say a lot of that was because they really enjoyed working with our company, and and I think our employees all really enjoyed working together and spent a lot of time together, and they were good friends. And and I think we overshot what we should have been doing based on our product alone. Now we had a good product though, and I'd still tell you you have to have a good product, but. If you can have that extra cohesion, social cohesion, I think it does make a, a tremendous difference and elevates everybody. Um, I think you can survive without it. I think it is harder to do it. Right. Um, you know, we've seen great teams before that on paper should annihilate folks, but you know, they're all they're all individual winners, and collectively they don't make the best team. And you know, that's why you see teams beat a bunch of individuals. You know, and and uh, I think we're fortunate with tennis because. It's an individual sport, oftentimes, but it's with college and, and high school. You know, we bring it together in a in a team format, and you get the best of both. And um, I think you know that's when you really see people functioning at a higher level. It's when you're not necessarily trying to win for yourself, but you're winning for your team, and and what joy that's going to bring to your teammates. In that same sense, and in that same vein, I think that works in business. You know, and that's why I also really like to hire college athletes because they know the joy that comes from, you know, winning for everybody, not just winning for themselves. And, um, and I think that does lead to, to the best, uh, you know, the best team you can have. Yeah. And there's not a one-to-one correlation with that, but the point that, uh, actually the study comes out is with teams that generally are not, um, team oriented already. So let's say for example, football, soccer, basketball, they already have a team component because you have to rely on the team to actually get something done. Whereas just like you mentioned on, on um, what they, uh, they talk about coactive teams or individual sports, like so, for example, tennis, golf, track and field, where there's not necessarily the team component, the more you make it um, where they do have a bonding and a social cohesion, that they, the, the chances of their success are higher. And so that'd be the same thing in business when you have all these individual people working, but they actually enjoy, like you said, it's, it's, uh, the chances are better and, and maybe you get there faster. So, um, yeah. what people have influenced you the greatest, uh, whether high school, college, early career, and how does that manifest itself in what you do and how you do it? Like I, I mean, you know, I know I coach because of a college coach, and why I do certain things, you know, because I've it's either been emulated or I've kind of respected that. So, uh, and that's what I do as a coach, etc. So, what maybe people in different parts of your life have influenced you, and um, you know, maybe that's how it's shaped what you do. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had some great influences. I mean, both uh, with my coaches and, and teammates. Um, I think, you know, yourself, Coach Patton, both made, you know, big impacts on me, as I said, as I was a, a college player, um, you know, really got us to believe that we can, we could beat anybody, um, you know, and we did. I mean, we were three in the country at one point, beat UCLA when they were one in the country, so technically we should have been one in the ranking <laughs> uh, going into the NCAA, so we won't go there. Um, and so, you know, but that was off of, the, you know, at the time, Coach Patton got us all believing we could we could do anything. He tell you the Statue of Liberty, and and you know seeing that um, you know I think in part on me that I could do anything, not just on the tennis court, but you know anything else. And that was that was great and, and was very helpful. I've had other ones, um, you know, other mentors in, in the business world um, that you know that that really showed me that you can you can dream big and do things, and there's no reason why the big incumbents should be the ones to always um, succeed and win. And, um, you know, you just have to look and find, you know, where is there white space of things that are not getting solved and, and how can you create that good product um, that, you know, that people will enjoy and, and find benefit from and, and, uh, and, you know, and hopefully it aligns with what you're passionate about. And so I've had, I've had the fortune of working folks with that, um, like that. Um, also, you know, have people willing to take big risks um, and, you know, over the course of what I do, I've, I've taken some different risks, you know, whether it was quitting being a lawyer to go into a company losing a lot of money or, or you know, leaving all that. And I was running a, a large entity, um, you know, one of the largest e-commerce companies uh, in the world, We're running their North American division and, and leaving all that to go, you know, to do a startup again. And so, um, you know, it definitely had some good mentors to show me. Uh, you know that you can take risks, and you know it, it. No matter what, you'll learn a lot from it, and and hopefully you'll make some um, some great gains from it, and uh, and it all work out in the end. 
Good. I uh, I want to segue into college tennis right or into tennis in general um, because there's a lot of connect. We've already touched on one of. Them. In fact, you gave a story um, about the person you know, when you got the job based on you know your character displayed on the tennis court. But you know uh, you've already mentioned that uh, you know you weren't necessarily one of the best players on the team, but you definitely worked hard and. Um, I just want to give an example uh, for those of you listening. For example, you know, Neil worked his way up through the lineup. And I remember one of the days at practice, I was having guys, uh, and I still do this, where we, uh, you have to, you know, the two most important shots in tennis. I mean, you got to be able to serve accuracy is huge. You got to be able to put the ball within a certain, certain, a very small area. Um, and that helps your chances. And the same thing with the return, um, you know, the accuracy on the turn and the depth. Um, but we were working on serving volley half court. And I said, Neil and everybody there, I said, look, uh, the goal here is not to let the ball bounce. You have to serve and volley, but you can't let it bounce. And, you know, obviously you're going to have the guys on the other side, you know how it is. They're going to go, oh yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give a little chip return and make you make it bounce, you know? And I remember you were running in going, how in the world is that possible? That ball is way down there and I can't. And I said, well, it's possible. I wouldn't, you know, if I didn't think you couldn't do it, I wouldn't ask. And, and I remember you going in and, and after a while you were kind of like, yeah, you felt really comfortable hitting it on the run, you know, moving in on the volley. And then, you know, obviously years later, you got what, 16 gold balls nationally and doubles, you know, um, you know, become a pretty proficient uh, volleyer. And it's one of those things where, you know, your work ethic uh, really paid off um, both in, you know, school, business and tennis and you know, one of the things I want I want to uh, see if you can maybe share with our people from the tennis perspective. Um, you know, what was it like when you grew up in the juniors? Uh, did your parents were they tennis players? Did they push you? Was it more just kind of you wanted to do it, or what's a little bit of your uh, tennis past before we get into a couple things? Um, yeah, no, thanks for that uh, that memory uh, going down memory lane there. Um, I remember having to get up to the net quickly. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I came from a little bit different, uh, background than most in the sense that although my parents were happy that I played sports and, and definitely supported me financially by giving me lessons and all that, they really, you know, my dad played a little bit, but not, not anything competitive. They never really, my mom still doesn't understand, I think, how to keep score in tennis. <laughs> and, and so, um, so they would just, they dropped me off. They gave me, a, they got me a tennis membership, thankfully, and they dropped me off to the club and they got me some lessons and, and they picked me up. And I mean, really studying was more important to them than, than, than tennis was. Um, I mean, I, I loved baseball also. So I was, I was really big into baseball. I was actually going to play baseball in high school up until right before high school started. My brother convinced me to play tennis. And, uh, you know, I was a late bloomer. I, the first year I was ever ranked was my second year, 16. Um, in Southern California <clears throat> and then you know and then I started to do quite well but um, but my parents did not push me at all and I think that's actually why I still have so much passion for the game um, because when I got to college I was kind of on an upswing and a lot of folks that were on our team or that were thinking about coming or that were playing at other schools you know that were much higher ranked I started beating a lot of them in tournaments and um, played ahead of them on our team or, or played against them and beat them in college just because I was still really excited about doing it. And and I still have a lot of passion for it now because I didn't play so much early on, I believe, um, that I love playing national tournaments now. It still motivates me to practice. And, and although I don't get to get out too much during the week, it's really on Saturdays and Sundays I play. Um, uh, but I have you know have had some good fortune. I played on a few national teams for the U.S., uh, both lo- uh, locally and, and internationally. Um, and, 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 and won some different tournaments, um, as you mentioned. Um, but I think a lot of it was, you know, and it's, it's a hard thing for me. I've got two young kids now, and I, I want to push them to play and get them to be better. Um, and it's a fine line between over-pushing over and, and just having them enjoy it and love the sport and getting better at it. And it's, it's definitely a tough thing. But I came on the side of not being overly pushed, and, you know, it, it worked out. I was definitely a late bloomer and a little late to the game but um but it's worked out overall yeah um how did networking play a part in your career so you know you go through the juniors now you're in college how did networking in college uh you know tennis or maybe even shortly after um you know getting to know boosters connecting with other players you know is that valuable to you yeah you know it's it's more valuable to me now than it was probably back then um and if I would have known how valuable it was then, I would have done it more. 
Um, hence, hence my question. But, so those listening now yeah. can learn from your hindsight. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the best things that anyone can do is get to know any connection that you can make that can help you in business or or in life is always valuable. And I think people generally are are really good and want to help people. People are very busy, but I think um, you know if you're polite and respectful um, and persistent. Um, you know, people want to help you. And so whether I'm teaching a class, um, you know, at UCI or I've done a couple at USC and a couple other places, um, I tell those kids, you know, reach out to me, feel free to ping me, reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, you know, and ask for advice or help or find somebody who's in the field of what you want to get to and ask them. Um, I think, um, you know, I didn't utilize this much right out of school, but since then, you know, once I wanted to leave, the practice of law, it it was really helpful. And the connections that you make within your different environments are so vital because at the end of the day, you know, people are hiring, for the most part, they're hiring people they don't know. And so it's, you're going off of what, what can you, what can you garner from the person's resume or from meeting them that you think is going to be beneficial. And you can look at, okay, well, they played college sports. That's great. They, you know, they were competitive. You can find out and get different references from them, see how they do in school. But, if they know somebody that knows you, you know, that's the best kind of reference that you want to get. And, um, and so always being, putting yourself out there, networking, going to events, meeting people, telling them what you're passionate about, trying to get internships while you're there. I try to hire, um, interns from, you know, from UCI's tennis program as an example, first and foremost, but, but from other tennis programs and then other athletes in general, um, you know, wherever I possibly can. And um, so find a company that you want to work for um, or somebody in that field, intern for them, do, do, you know, free services, do things at night, over weekends, um, on the summers, and, and just continue to use that as a path to get to your ultimate goal, what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's always, I don't know if it's always been a budgetary thing, but, you know, it's a big part of a lot of programs is getting to know people and, um, you know, guys who want to go out on tour or just, you know, they need help here and there. And then, you know, internships and jobs. I just think it's, a, it's a, you know, it's just part of the world, you know, where you, uh, it's a small world and you, all the networking helps. I got a question in terms of um, sports as building character. I wanted to get your thoughts on this and kind of related to business. Um, Joe Ehrman, he's a formal uh, former NFL uh, player, and he was kind of a beast. The guy was known just to have a uh, really serious temper, etc. And he has a book called Inside Out Coaching, um, and he discusses the true nature of competition. Um, I discuss that in my blog, so I won't go over it here much. But um, he hits the nail on the head when he says something, and I'm just uh, paraphrasing it. I wanted to get your thoughts um, related to business. Here's what he says. He says, the great myth of American sports is that it builds character. And a lot of times we hear that sports build character and he's challenging that he says no it doesn't i mean he was there he was at the highest level he says most are win at all cost and he says that's not character sports don't build character unless a coach possesses character and intentionally teaches it and so i think this is true and i'm curious about something you've competed in southern cal tennis you know you've competed d1 at the highest level you've probably seen both sides of that and is this the case in the business circles that you roll in as well at the highest level or more local? Do, uh, business does not teach character, but leaders who intentionally develop their uh, and lead their colleagues teach character. D- is there an intentionality about leaders and developing character of their employees and stuff? Well, that's a, that's a, I've never heard that about the sports side, but it does make sense as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think... In business, I don't think it's, even though it is very cutthroat and people want to win and stuff, I don't think it's as much a you win or lose every day mm-hmm. as you do in sports. Right. You know, sports, you go out to go play a match or go play a game or, you know, compete in, in something, you have one of two outcomes 90 plus percent of times, which is you either won or you lost, or you came in first or you didn't, or maybe you, you placed, you know. Um, and that's not the same necessarily in business. I mean, business are, are longer lead times. You may not know if a company is really successful for years. One day you could be on the top of the world. The next day you could be out of business. And But that could go over a span of 20 years or 10 years or five years or, or, or shorter. But, but it's not as immediate as the sports side of things. So I don't think, um, I don't think it's as much a 
you're not learning character as you're going through. You have a lot of mini wins and mini losses in business. Um, and so you have to be in it for a much longer run. You, you know, you're not going to make a determination on if a company is successful in a week or, you know, in a month or, or six months even, or whatever the longest season would be for any, you know, athlete today. Um, you know, generally it's a much longer course that you go. That said, I do think, um, you know, I do think leaders, uh, at companies always want to help develop or should want to help develop you know, that next set of leaders. And it just depends on the, you know, how big is the organization. I mean, I think bigger organizations generally do it better than smaller organizations just because they have a lot of, um, a lot of process in place. Whereas some new startups necessarily, that's not the number one goal is to, you know, think of, you know, what's going to happen over the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and so I think you're seeing a little less of it per se with some of the new tech startup type things. Um, just because there aren't as many formalities in place and, and people stay in those positions longer. Um, but I think at the larger entities, larger companies, I think they absolutely put a big focus on that. And, um, and you know, I, I think there should be more on the smaller ones, but it's just, again, there's not as many layers to move up. Um, uh, but I do think, um, I do think it is something that, you know, just being in business, I think you will learn character if you're, if you're in a successful business and successful again, doesn't necessarily mean that you've had this major, huge outcome, mm-hmm. but that, that you are operating and, and succeeding on a daily basis, um, you know, to get a, to, to create a winning solution that people want to use generally requires a, some sort of negotiation and working with people and understanding what their issues are and some kind of empathy around what they're going through to solve that problem. And and doing those and creating that, I think, just automatically creates character or will help create character. Um, now, well, again, you have to shape it the right way. But um, but I think if you're in that process, you will become a better person if you really are trying to understand what is beneficial for your customer. If you're out to get it on your own, you're generally not going to do great in business yourself. Um, and your clients won't do well. Right. Well, I think I think everything you said there um, goes hand in hand with um, you know what we're trying to do in tennis, for example. Um, and I think this is what Joe was kind of getting at um, when we talk about transformational coaching. It's like and the same thing in business. The win loss, um, you know, when you're on the practice court, you know, it's it's uh, did you give a hundred percent effort? You know, I think a lot of people just have a hard time even doing that for a couple hours. Um, but were you coachable? Were you respectful? Whether you win or lose, if you did those things, you've already won. And so that's the mini win, you know, and we're always talking about the process over product. So yeah, it could take years for a player to develop. And then all of a sudden they mature and they get to where they're at and then boom, they show up on the scene and they're really good. So it's, that's very similar. And that those skill sets and that patience, that long-term perspective, that process, of understanding, look, it takes a lot to develop this kind of player and hard days and days you don't want to get up and days you're sore and et cetera, et cetera. There's so many parallels in the business world. And I think that's why you like, you know, athletes, you know, college athletes because of that. And it's the same thing. It's uh, when you're competing, you know, yeah, you lost, but is there some win you can draw out of that? You know, they talk about moral victories and some people say there are no moral victories, but the point is, is uh, you know, there are things that you have to build on, and uh, um, you know, it could be you, 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 even if you win a match, it's like, well, you know, I need to do this. This didn't work out well, so I have to go to the drawing board on this, even though I won. And the the reverse is the same. You lost, but there was something I did well that I've been training and practice for the last month, and it finally came out. I remember one time. You know, a friend of yours and mine, a former player, uh, Chris Taunts, I remember, and I mentioned this in a podcast with him, is, you know, he was trying to work on his two-hand, uh, he had a two-hand forehand. We had to switch him over to a one-hand. And I remember, you know, after tons of time in the morning working on it, working on it, and then in practice, and he finally ended up using it in a match, and it, and it uh, you know, helped him win a match, and he was totally excited. So those are just small little adjustments. Whether he wins or loses a match, he's developing that part of his game. And it's the same thing with business. Whether you make that sale or, or uh, you know, get that, that lead or whatever, um, there are things that you're developing as you go along. And I think that's what you're saying. It's, it's a long yeah. process. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Well, 
Neil, um, you know, one of the things I want to leave some time here as we're kind of getting towards the end is I want to I want to give you a chance to say from all that you've accomplished, you know, such a uh, young uh would you consider yourself, I mean, I don't know all the terminology, but an entrepreneur? It seems to me, are you an entrepreneur per se? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, because yeah. to me, I, I guess, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really well versed in the business world, but to me it seems like you're kind of a big-time guy. So I, I, I guess, uh, you know, I always thought of the entrepreneur as, you know, somebody beginning, but you're not. You're not, you know, you're, uh, but you're out there creating things and taking risks and chances and you have a great product. And, and, uh, I think that's one thing people can learn is that here's, here's somebody who could do the safe thing and just, you know, do whatever his degree was, or he has, I mean, he could probably get a job anywhere he wants yet. He's leading people and, you know, going out there on ventures and, um, I, I just think that uh, speaks a lot, and, and you know, I want to encourage you know younger people or even people in the workforce now is to, you know, assess their strengths and those passions and and uh, and go for them. So, um, but is there anything you'd like to share? Some key principles you find important, or or just some things that you would like to kind of leave leave people with? Yeah, I think I think the ones that we that we've touched on just to reiterate yeah. the importance of. Um, I think first and foremost, you know. It's okay if you don't know what you want to do today, whether you're in high school or you're in college. That's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was leaving college. I just gave – I always try to put myself in that position the best possible way that I could. And so leaving college, I didn't want to just go out into the world not having any idea what I wanted to do without a job, without the next thing lined up. And so I decided I wanted to go get a graduate degree. And um, it gave me a little bit more time to figure out what I want to do. I liked the law. I thought I would do it for one year. I did it for three and a half. Um, you know, but it opened up a lot more doors. And so I'd, I'd always be looking at what, you know, what is it that you want to do? What are you passionate about? And if it's something that you're passionate about, it's not going to really be work. Um, even if you're working, quote unquote, working really hard at it, it's not, it's not laborious. You enjoy it. And, and so first and foremost, try to find your passion. Second of all, make sure it can help pay your bills still because you need to do that. <laughs> and, um, and um, you know, hopefully that aligns. Um, but but always be trying to open up as many doors as you can. Um, and and the things that are involved in doing that are everything you do today in the sense of showing who your character is, and you know, and working hard and exemplifying that. So if you're on the court, practicing extra hard. If you're picking up balls, pick up balls with a positive attitude. If you're getting water, you know, be, anything you're doing, you want to be positive as much as you possibly can. Obviously, you're not always going to be happy, but still try to be, you know, try to have a positive attitude at whatever you do. Um, and and that does come back. I mean, I mentioned the one instance. I had another one. Almost something to a T similarly happened, you know, and I'll, I'll just give you a 30-second snippet on it. No, you take your time. Yeah. Again. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I was... Uh, I went to I went to law school at University of San Diego, as I mentioned. I was on a scholarship. I finished top of my class. I worked harder than I ever worked academically, and I wanted to work at a law firm um, that that I really wanted to work at. And I won't mention the name of the firm. Uh, a top law firm, and I was one of two people that got a, a call back to the law firm. They called the, they called back the the woman who was number one in our class, and they called me back. It was a fourteen hour interview uh, that we had all day. You know, I had breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks um, with with several different people at the firm. And about two or three weeks later, I got a letter saying I did not get the offer. And I was so distraught. That's where I wanted to go. I, my heart set on it. Well, about a week later, I was interviewing at another firm in San Diego. And after two interviews there, um, the hiring partner there called me into his office and said, did you interview at XYZ firm? And I said, yeah, I did. And I'm like, how do you know Said, well, you didn't get an offer, did you? I'm like, no, I did not. And I'm thinking, this is going to go really poorly. And uh, <laughs> he's like, he's like, well, you met so and so, right? And I said, yeah, you know, he's the one that called me back and I had drinks with him that night. And he goes, yeah, well, you also had drinks with his wife. And I said, yeah. And so, well, she's um, she's an attorney here, and you just walked by and she saw you, and she called, you know, her husband um, to ask about you again because she knew that he really liked you. And so he called me to tell me that the only reason that you did not get an offer is because they were not hiring from your school that year. Because USD was a good school, wasn't a top 10 school, 
um, and the law firm was not hiring out of USC that year. And um, and so they gave me an offer on the spot. They just said, you don't need to meet any more people. If you want to, you can, but we're going to give you an offer. We'd love for you to work here. And again, that was just based on a 14-hour interview that I had with another firm. It had nothing to do with this firm. Right. But, you know, the character throughout. So it just makes a big difference on who you are and how you act all throughout. I'm definitely not the smartest person um, out there. I'm not the best uh, best tennis player, but I will always give my best at anything I do. And, and I think that's really important. And that's thing. Those are things that I look for in, in, with folks that I'm hiring. Um, but as you're going through, again, you know, be passionate. Find find things that you like. Um, give yourself the best opportunity to to achieve your goals, and um, and then reach out for help. I mean, everybody needs help, and I think you know we're we're on this planet and in this life to help people, however we possibly can as well. And as I mentioned, you know, everyone's really busy. Um, busy with work, busy with family, busy with kids, busy with their own sports, et cetera. But if someone's asking for help um, and they're being considerate about the person's time and, and being thoughtful in their request, I think people will want to help you. And so if you if you want to get in a field that you're not sure how to get into or you want to get an internship, you know, just reach out and ask. And one of the other big things I'll, I'll say is there are people – every day that surprised me. And I still shouldn't, I, I, I'm sad to say I get surprised, but <laughs> I'm shocked right. in the sense that, you know, these people run very large organizations or do something that I'm like, oh my God, they're so amazing. And, and it's not, and you talk to them and they're just really nice people that are willing to help. And, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their own insecurities of what they're doing. They, they may need their own help too. And so don't ever feel bad asking someone for help. Don't ever feel bad for asking someone, how do I get, you know, to do what you want to do? And I think people should look at you and go, God, it's so great that you're doing that. You're taking the time and effort. But I would tell you to put some time in and research. So if you're going to send someone an email or send them a LinkedIn or reach out to them, understand what they like, who they are, try to see some of the things they've posted or written about, and then be thoughtful in your request. Um, but when you do that and you show that you've put the time and effort into it, I'm sure that people will be you know, reciprocate that and be willing to help you. And I just think in today's world, you know, there's so many different things out there, good and bad, that, you know, you need to make sure you're picking good decisions and, and asking people for help however you possibly can get it, and then and then taking advantage of your opportunities. Well, that's really good stuff. I mean, that, that goes, yeah, because that's, that's right in the heart of, you know, a lot of the, you know, youth, you know, that you come across, uh, even in, you know, college and even those coming out of college needing something. And, and again, even people in the workforce are trying to transitioning. So, you know, that's the thing about tennis is it's, uh, it's a small world, you know, um, you know, it's the same kind of thing. You know, uh, Wayne Bryan does the introduction to this show, Mike and Bob Bryan do the music and it's, you know, there's just, uh, all the different, you know, you know, just from tennis itself, just you could probably fill a book with all the different stories and how people have reached out and done this for you and, and you've done for them. And that's just, uh, you know, the whole brotherhood or sisterhood, you know, of tennis. And it's uh, like you're saying, it's similar in the in the in the business world. So, um, Neil, uh, it's been a blast having you on. Um, I, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a, a little sick one at home and uh, to take the time to be on the show. And, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure to see you just just blossoming and just being this, uh, you know, I mean, basically you're a world-class business person and it's it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, again, I just want to say thanks for coming on. So Absolutely. Thanks yeah. for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it very much. And yeah. I'm just... Uh, I'm just an average guy that's working hard, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, folks, you've been listening to the Coach Steve Clark PhD show with Neil Grover. Um, and Neil, is it is it Esquire JD? Is that how uh, is that how it, you usually uh, associate with your name? Is that how it goes? I you know I don't attach that anymore, although I technically <laughs> have it. But it's just it's just Neil Grover. There you go. Okay, um, he's founder and CEO of Indy.com. Um, he's a former SoCal Junior player and collegiate player. Um, that I had the pleasure of coaching at UC Irvine. Um, be sure to like and share the podcast and uh, my website with your friends at CoachSteveClarkPhD.com. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, resources, video discussion, and more, including uh, Wilson and Luxlon uh, products and other products. Um, and also, um, I have um, the pre- uh, pleasure and privilege of uh, venturing in um, 
uh, with uh, Indie.com with Neil. Um, and there'll be uh, a lot of things on that uh, website that uh, promote products, etc. And, um, you know, so I uh, want to say thanks to Neil for that. And they've done a great job in putting in some, uh, actually a link that people can go leave a video commentary on my website. Uh, so feel free to do that and get engaged that way. And that's all because of uh, Neil's uh, platform at Indie.com. Um, I also welcome your comments and questions, and you can reach me at steve at coachsteveclarkphd.com. Let me leave you with two thoughts. One is uh, by Martin Luther King. Uh, the other is by, uh, by me. Uh, sometimes in my car, I'm driving around, I just think of things. And, but let's start with the more uh, significant one. Uh, Martin Luther King said, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. I'll repeat that. So whether it's on the court or in the business world, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And thanks again for joining us. And as we end every show, as you hear Mike and Bob Bryan's song coming up, I just want to say, let it rip. Let it rip.